0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who can start his spring farming season as much as six weeks early. We're talking with returning guest Joel Carson about the six bale greenhouse. Joel, a farm boy who grew up tending a soil garden, shook up the gardening world with his first book describing his breakthrough straw bale gardening concept. The New York Times called straw bale gardening a revolutionary gardening method, and his ideas have been enthusiastically embraced globally making his books bestsellers in many languages. Joel earned a BS in horticulture from the University of Minnesota and spends his summer tending his vegetable garden, doing research and experimenting with new ideas and methods he can pass along. Joel has inspired tens of thousands of first-time gardeners and a legion of seasoned growers who have found a new and better way to pursue their passion. His methods have enabled retired gardeners to begin gardening again, since it eliminates some of the physical challenges found in traditional soil gardening. Welcome back to the show today, Joel. Are you ready to rock?
1: I'm ready, thanks for having me back, Greg.
0: Excellent, you bet, always love chatting with you. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with what straw bale gardening is, can you explain it for us, Joel?
1: Sure, Uh, quick and simple version here we start with a bale it could be a bale of hay or bale of straw it could be a bale you made yourself out of grass clippings and leaves or whatever organic material you can find so it doesn't have to be straw let's get that clear first oh perfect we're going to we're going to start with a bale and for a couple of weeks we're going to feed the bacteria inside that bale and we feed those bacteria what they like to eat which is a source of nitrogen you can obviously do this completely organically using blood meal or if you're a traditional gardener you could just use regular lawn fertilizer and that little bit of addition of nitrogen inspires those bacteria to colonize, and very rapidly, they'll quickly reproduce and colonize that entire bale, and then they'll begin to consume the straw or whatever the material is inside that bale and break that material down into compost. And so the inside of that bale very quickly becomes compost. The illusion of straw bale gardening is that you're growing vegetables in straw, and you're really not. You're actually growing vegetables in very recently decomposed straw. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you go through the prep- preparation process. Of course, the bales get really warm. Oh, and yeah. that's, what, that's what provides the heat we're going to talk about with the, the little six-bale greenhouse. So you can actually heat your greenhouse oh. while the bales are decomposing.
0: Nice. Yeah. So I have a bale of straw, and it's, what, about three feet long and about 18 inches wide and about maybe 18 inches tall?
1: Yeah, all all farmers make different size bales, and it depends on what kind of baler they have, but that's about right.
0: Uh-huh. The straw bale is sitting there. What what, what What's my first task?
1: A little bit of blood meal on top and water, and not too much water. Uh-huh. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes straw bale gardeners make is they tend to overwater. water. Cause it's hard to tell when you've saturated the bale. So the first time it's going to take a little bit more water, you know, three, four gallons to Uh really get that bale nice and saturated. And if you could soak it in, in a, you know, little kiddie pool or something overnight, but you got to remember once it's soaking wet, it gets very heavy. So you have to to do it very, very close to your destination. Yeah, And then you begin, put a little blood meal on it. Sometimes it works well to poke some holes in the bale because as that blood meal begins, the decomposition process, Unfortunately, Greg, there might be a little bit of a smell to it. So if you make some holes in the bale, it eliminates a lot of the surface area, which will reduce any aroma that you don't like. And that only lasts for a short time. You got to remember this is part of Mother Nature's process here. Um, you could use other organic nitrogen sources as well. But keep in mind, what's really key here is the nitrogen in it, the number of nitrogen molecules. So mm-hmm. you look at blood meal, that's 12 and percent on oh, average wow. nitrogen which is really hard to find another organic fertilizer that that has that much nitrogen in it. And after that, it takes about 18 days if you're doing it organically. If you're using other type of NPK-based fertilizer with nitrogen in it that's more of a chemical-based, it's going to dissolve faster, and it tends to act more quickly. It'll only take about 12 days. But with the organic method, it just takes a little bit longer. Eighteen days later, those bales will be ready to plant. Sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a couple days later. Kind of depends on your weather during that period of time when you're conditioning. It needs to be nice and warm.
0: Right. And so how do I know when it's done?
1: you'll be able to tell the temperature will drop inside the bale. So if you if you stick your hand in there, if you don't have a compost thermometer, just stick your hand down in there and you'll feel it'll get much warmer than your skin temperature during the conditioning period and then it will drop to below your body temperature. So it'll feel cool or sort of tepid on your skin that tells you it's below 105 degrees and it basically the bale's ready to plant at that oh, point
0: cool all right so I, I want a picture of this so I, i'm actually sitting at a at a desk that is about the size of a straw bale this straw bale sitting flat on the ground you take some amount of blood meal and you sprinkle it on the top of it
1: yep sprinkle it over the top of the of the bale end to end edge to edge and you'll see it it will work down into the bale after a few applications you'll start to get sort of a crust on the top where it, not not all of it will work down in and then people tend to grab their hose and use the sprayer end to try to squirt it all down into the bale. And that's what you don't want to do. Uh-huh. If you stand there for a half an hour with cold water on that bale, you're actually going to go backwards in the process of growing bacteria. Our bacteria like to be nice and warm. So just a little bit of water, about a gallon of water, if you're using a sprayer end of your hose, just 30 seconds or so and then leave it alone. If you can punch some little holes in there with a stake or something to try to get the blood meal worked down in that's fine. You don't have to do that, but that certainly is helpful and it won't build up as much of a crust on top that the bacteria will come to the surface and get the nitrogen from that blood meal when they're ready. So we don't need to worry about working it in. You're going to get enough if you just put a gallon of water. And in my books, I talk about using warm water. And what I really mean when I say warm water is just water that you put in a bucket today and then use it tomorrow. So not cold water out of your tap early in the spring. You know, an outdoor spigot can be pretty chilly when the ground's frozen. The pipes are coming through that cold soil. So so that's very cold. If you just put it in a bucket, let it warm up to air temperature. Maybe it's only fifty degrees outside. At least the water will be at that temperature, so it warms it up a little bit. And you only need a gallon per bale, so it's pretty simple to to manage. Wow. that.
0: so if somebody's interested in starting one of these, uh, what's your book?
1: Strawbell Gardens Complete. Perfect uh, is, a, is a good how-to book. I have several books. I think I have five books out now. But Strawbell Gardens Complete, either the regular one or the updated edition. Both of them are very good about, you know, giving you detailed step-by-step instructions.
0: Perfect, and we'll have we'll have a special offer for our listeners at the end of the podcast where you can get a free copy of that as well. The other thought that I had was uh, having the water sit for 24 hours will also have the chlorine evaporate out of it if you're using yes. chlorinated water, which is really important as well.
1: Sure. Yes. Absolutely.
0: Because that we put chlorine in water to kill micro. Microbes And it's going to kill the microbes in our straw bale as well.
1: Yeah, some of it will evaporate out. You'll never kill all the microbes that are in there, but it certainly could have an effect if you use city water that's chlorinated or fluorinated. Yes, indeed. I'm curious, how did you come up with this? You know, I grew up on a dairy farm. And even as a kid, I would see a broken bale laying by the barn. Uh-huh. And the weeds, it seemed, on the whole farm were the ones that would grow out of these decomposing bales. And then 15 years after that, I moved to the city. I went to college and got a degree in horticulture, and I bought a house. And it turns out the house I bought only had one inch of topsoil over top of this terrible construction fill underneath. Oh, right. And I was a broke, you know, just out of college. I was broke, and I just bought this new house, and I tried to pay school loans. And I didn't have $200 to build raised beds, but I remembered those straw bales that used to lay by the barn. So I did some experimenting for the first couple of years and sort of developed a method a system for how it would work and i was amazed at how well it did work even the first year we did it it was it was pretty amazing how well it produced most vegetables and then over the years sort of refining and defining exactly a process that was pretty much no fail so anybody could do it I joke, however, that for the first 14 years, not a lot happened because it really didn't. It was me and a few friends and some colleagues and you know people that were curious or interested in what I was doing. And then I got on TV one year, and that just spread across the – it was an NBC affiliate locally, and that spread very quickly. And then that led to a self-published book, which led to a publisher and lots of exposure via social media. And it it's sort of been a grassroots movement because yeah. – one of the things that really causes straw bale gardening to spread is that it's very conspicuous, Greg. If oh, somebody walks yes. if somebody walks by your house, they'll walk by your house for years and they'll never remember that you have a vegetable garden. But if they walk by your house and they see six straw bales sitting out there and you're you're standing there watering these straw bales, the conversation is bound to turn, and they'll say, you know, what's happening here? Are you going to bring goats in your yard or what? Right. And then it leads to, no, I'm going to grow a vegetable garden, and here's how it works. And then they'll watch you all summer, and they'll wait to see if it works or not. And it does, and they're amazed, and it just sort of spreads that way. So then one one person influences five more to start, yeah. and each of those five influences five. So we estimate there's close to 2 million gardeners now around the world that are doing straw bale gardening based on book wow. sales. Wow and et cetera.
0: Yeah. Oh, congratulations. I didn't realize that it went back this far with
1: you. So yeah, 26 years ago, I think was my first straw bale garden. So long time ago.
0: When it, it occurred to me as you were sharing that if someone has just dirt, hard dirt in their backyard, one of the methods of repairing that dirt is to put in a bunch of straw bale gardens. And over the course of a season or two, they break down and add organic matter to the top layer of their garden space.
1: Absolutely, some of the most beautiful compost you'll ever see in your life is decomposed straw bales. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah,
0: wow, how cool is that? So we brought you on today to talk about this concept called the six-bale greenhouse, and Janice told me a little bit about it, but not much, so I'm really curious, tell me about it.
1: Well, it started a couple of years ago, actually about five years ago, People in our social media, on Facebook in particular, on Twitter, started using cattle panels as support for their plants to sort of make a, I guess you'd call it an arch with a cattle panel. If you know what a cattle panel is, it's a 16-foot long, 50-inch wide section of fence. And it's made of four or five gauge steel, so it's nice, thick steel, and it's real easy to bend. Usually, they're used to make pens, of course, for cows and horses and whatnot. So, you can buy them anywhere at a farm supply store, usually about 25 bucks, you know, 28 bucks, something like that. So, they're very inexpensive. And basically, they just sit on the ground, and you make a hump out of them, and you put your bales next to them and, and start your plants, and the plants grow up this cattle panel. And it ends up being about six and a half feet tall in the center of this arch. If you put the base legs about seven feet apart, you know where it touches the ground, about seven feet apart from each other. And then I like to put two cattle panels always next to each other, because it makes it much more sturdy, and then put zip ties to hold the two cattle panels together. And so we did that for a couple of years. And then... I started experimenting with a way that, you know, to build a, a full on poly house or greenhouse in Minnesota that will mm-hmm. support our winter snow yeah. and that kind of thing is it takes a good size structural, you know, some integrity there to hold a greenhouse in Minnesota to hold the snow and, you know, support our enough plastic to do two layers so you can pump air between, which is your insulating factor, et cetera. And that's kind of out of reach for a lot of people. So I looked at these two cattle panels and I figured out a way that we could cover these two cattle panels with poly. So just four mil poly. This doesn't have to be any, you know, fancy greenhouse poly. This is like painter's poly you buy at a local hardware store or or a home center. One sheet that's 10 feet by 25 feet, you can cover this entire greenhouse. So the base of the two humps of wire are seven feet apart and that makes 100 inches or 104 inches if you get 52 inch panels long so a little under nine feet so the greenhouse ends up being about seven feet by eight feet at the base and i like to put a two by four square around the base all the way around the base so the wire legs sit inside of that wood frame now i'm going to do a blog article for you guys i was going to say and i'm going to put some pictures so people can see pictures and read the blog and it's also detailed step by step in the new book the straw garden's complete updated edition there's a oh, whole perfect. section step by step about how to do it so anyway we cover this these two cattle panels with plastic and then we put end walls in but the kicker is and the secret is right at the outside edges of these cattle panels we have to put a strip of a tack strip so we can use our stapler to hold the plastic in place. Right. And so we just use a little wooden strip, or you can use a PVC, a half-inch PVC pipe. That will work also. And more zip ties to hold it in place. So you zip tie that that strip along the edge. And then when you drape your plastic over the top, it gets nailed on that two-by-four along the bottom of the fence panels, and then it gets nailed along that tack strip which is right on the front edge and the back edge, and then you put your end panels on, and the same thing, tack it on the bottom, and then around that tack strip on the front side and the back side of the greenhouse, and then you got to put a door in. And what I discovered works really well are these zip walls. They're a sticker, sticky back zipper oh, drywallers yes. use. Yeah, yep. and they're. They work just perfectly. You put it on there, and then you open the zipper, and then they give you a little tool, and you slit open that door, and now you have a zip up and down door. Yep. This isn't going to last year-round, and this isn't going to be a permanent thing. Remember, this is just six weeks before you can put plants outside normally without a, a threat of frost. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go six weeks. I, I used to call this my April greenhouse, Greg, and then my publisher said – you know it's not April in Arizona. When people would use this in Arizona or in <laughs> exactly. or in Australia or wherever, and your books are sold around the world. so we changed it instead to the six week greenhouse instead of the April greenhouse but really for me in in Minnesota, this is my April and early May greenhouse, so just before I can put things outside mid May, I'm starting them in here now once the greenhouse is built and your door is on. It's going to during the day when the sun is bright, even though it's, you know, 25 or 30 degrees outside, it will get 60 degrees inside there because that sun's energy is absorbed through the plastic and it really warms up the inside. Right. Now, at night, however, when the sun goes away, that greenhouse cools way down and it would actually freeze if there was no heat source. So our heat source – is our straw bales. Oh. So these conditioning straw bales. Remember the bales we talked about how when you begin the conditioning process, they get warm inside. And That's, I mean, they get they get really hot. They'll get 150 degrees. Brilliant. So yeah. we're going to put the six bales inside there. You can fit three on each side. They fit perfectly if you have, you know, three foot little less than three foot long bales, 32, 33-inch bales work great. If you end up having to split a bale, that's actually pretty easy to do. Uh You just put a new string. you got to thread a new string through, sort of around the bale, cut the old string. You can shorten a bale up pretty easily by hand. So you put the six bales in the greenhouse, and you start the conditioning process. The bales will get warm. Now that will keep the greenhouse nice and warm. Now we're going to get our seed trays, and we're going to put those on On top top of the the bales. bales. And so you get bottom heat. From these bales that are going to warm up the seed trays, and the air temperature can be cool. You know, it can't be you know in the 20s, but it could be down to 32, 30, 34, 35 degrees, and these seedlings will be just fine. And at night, even though the sun goes under the the horizon, you don't have that sun's energy anymore. There's enough energy radiating and inside these nice moist bales mm-hmm. that it keeps those seed trays nice and warm, and you get the most beautiful, brand new vegetable starts. Uh, you can fit ten seed trays on top of six bales, five mm-hmm. on each side. Yep. If you put thirty-six, you know, plugs in each seed tray, that gives you three hundred and sixty vegetable starts in one little tiny greenhouse. Now you could add another row of bales, believe it or not. There's enough room in there that you could add and make nine bales in a greenhouse. Now you got room for a whole nother set of five trays, so you could do even more. But I do 360 in mine, and that's more vegetable starts than I can, you know, than I can plant for sure. Oh, yeah. I even start my annual flowers in there rather than going and buying annual flowers. I start my annuals in there, so I save, you know, buying. Usually I buy ten flats of annuals every spring, and I can start those in that greenhouse as well. So
0: yeah, so I'm glad we'll have pictures uh, and a blog post about this. And the really cool part meaning the really hot part of this process is the six bales inside and having them generate the, the compost heat to heat your greenhouse at night.
1: Yes. Yeah. People are skeptical about how much heat you can generate from that process. But I point them on YouTube. There's some videos of people that actually build compost piles, Greg, and they run pipes through the compost piles and they put water through the pipes and they use that to heat their house. You wouldn't want to do that, I don't think, in Minnesota or Wisconsin where it gets really, really cold. But in some parts of the country where it doesn't get super cold, apparently it's enough heat to generate enough energy to to heat your house. Compost heaters are called.
0: Isn't that amazing? Yes, I love it. Mother
1: nature at work. Who wouldn't? Who would have thunk it? Huh? Right.
0: Exactly. Well, that's why I like studying permaculture. I I took my first permaculture design course almost thirty years ago, and I think right around thirty at the time, and it was like if this big awakening for me about oh my gosh, this stuff actually works. We just have to pay attention to nature.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: That is actually brilliant. Um, so yeah, the
1: feedback I've gotten on it. I've done a few different conferences where i've been a speaker and i set up one of these greenhouses only takes an hour to set it up so they're pretty simple the feedback has been extraordinary i mean up north here where everybody would love to have a greenhouse but it's always cost prohibitive of course this is under this is less than a hundred dollars greg you can set the whole (laughs) thing up under a hundred bucks nice so just what you save on vegetable starts the first year will pay for it you know and then you could you know buy new plastic next year for ten dollars and because remember after the seat after the it's used as a greenhouse. We're going to tear the cover off and it's going to become the trellis for our garden. So our plants are going to crawl up on top of what was our greenhouse. Now it's just fence panels holding up tomato vines, you know, during the summer. So we're going to recover it again the next year with new plastic for 10 bucks. Awesome. That
0: is truly epic. Good job. So in our pre-conversation, we talked about something called upstream healthcare. Can you kind of touch on that
1: for me? Yeah, the last couple of years, I've been trying to emphasize the importance of repositioning the whole concept of backyard gardening in people's minds as upstream healthcare. And what I mean by that is if we can convince people, instead of waiting until they themselves or their children or their grandchildren begin to experience health problems because of their poor diet, instead, getting them introduced to gardening, making it more of a priority to introduce them to gardening and get them hooked earlier when they're younger so that they they incorporate that as part of their lifestyle. Growing fresh vegetables and, you know, whenever you have a gardening lifestyle, you know, you tend to get out in the garden. It's a little bit of exercise. It's not strenuous. It's relaxing. It takes your mind off of the stresses in life. And it's sort of anybody who's a gardener will tell you that that's their happy place when they're in their garden. And it can't help but make our society more healthy. So instead of waiting until your kids or grandkids end up with diabetes like you have, get them introduced early to gardening, get them out in that garden and some recipes using you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, and and peppers. You can make lots of things from just those three simple to grow, easy to grow vegetables and get them introduced to it early and make it part of their lifestyle, it will change ultimately the outcome of their, their health in the long run. It's, it's kind of hard to do a short version here, but upstream healthcare, I think, is the future. I mean, if you could go to the doctor and the doctor could say to you, here's a prescription. Instead of going and buying you know drugs to solve your problem, my prescription is, for you to go and garden, set up a garden here 's a two hundred dollar prescription. Take this to the garden <laughs> center, and they 're going to set you up to nice. begin the gardening process and that and I need you to do that because it, you know your your diet and your maybe it 's your mental health that you know if you 're stressed and exhausted and you need some different outlook on life uh, gardening can be a great way to solve that problem so just to encourage people in the med- medical field to steer people towards gardening. It really is an answer for a lot of health problems yeah. that people are facing.
0: Well, I, I have this uh, lecture that I give uh, about the top three things that cause 100% of the dis-ease in our culture. And that is lack of nutrition in our food, uh, environmental toxins, and stress. So I contend that if you go out in the garden, you can address all three of those by growing your own food.
1: You absolutely are right on the money.
0: Yeah. So tell me about your book, uh, The Straw Bale Gardens Complete. I uh, see that it's coming out in March.
1: Yes, this is an updated edition. We added, I don't know, 70 pages or something. A couple of new chapters, one- is about the greenhouse, of course, that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of information in there about using straw bales very simply to make a cold frame, which couldn't be any easier, you know, a couple of old windows or an old glass door on top of six straw bales strategically placed around the edges. uh, And you've got a cold frame, which will allow you to start things earlier in the spring. There's a section there about that. I'll tell you another section that people are really interested in is purposefully growing mushrooms in straw bales you know lots of mushroom mushroom growing is becoming more and more popular huge for people to do at home yeah and so i did a bunch of experiments on how we could pasteurize an entire bale at one time and then inoculate that bale very simple especially if you order the the uh, spawn which it's available all over online nowadays order a, a jar of the spawn it couldn't be any easier. Two weeks later, you're you're already seeing mushrooms blooming on these bales. And for the next month or six, eight weeks, you're getting three two or three big flushes of, for instance, oyster mushrooms. Um, in the book, we talk about four of the mushrooms that I've experimented with a lot, which are wine caps and then black oysters, Phoenix oysters, and Chinese oysters. All of those do seem to do really well on the straw bales. So, and it's a super easy process. You know, it's just a big giant cooler. If you don't have a cooler, you can actually make an insulated cooler by s- surrounding one bale with six other bales and then put a plastic liner inside of it and oh you put gosh. the whole bale. You put the whole bale inside of that hole uh-huh. between the other bales and cover it up and you pour hot water on it. You need a one of those big turkey roasters and you boil up about 6 gallons, 5 gallons of water. And have have somebody help you so you don't, you know, this is dangerous to handle that much hot water. But you want to pour it over top of that bale and then fold the plastic up over the top and set another bale on top. And that makes a giant cooler. And that will pasteurize in an hour. You can take that bale out and all the other spores that are potentially in that bale will be, you know, rendered inert. And now you can inoculate it fresh and wrap it in plastic like a big taco and wait two weeks and you've got beautiful mushrooms.
0: Wow. So you get to do this for fun every day invent this new stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I work on different things. You know, I, it's social media is an amazing thing and you can learn a lot just by listening to what questions people ask your social media and concerns that people have and trying to address those concerns. You know, they're not going to go away. People are curious about how to grow mushrooms there. You know, you can tell them, well, you know, somebody else has information, go look up their information, but they're, they're fans of our page and they want information from me. So, I have to go out and learn it, how to do it. I didn't know anything about mushrooms two years ago, but I started doing a bunch of experimenting and, you know, listen to other people and and learn from what they talked about. Nobody, to my knowledge, however, has ever pasteurized and inoculated an entire bale at a time. Mm-hmm. Different people out there have used mini bales and different versions of it, but to pasteurize an entire bale was the difficult part. You know, people couldn't get over that. So I just came up with a great way to do it. Make sure it works, you know, mm-hmm. do it a few times and make sure that what I'm going to tell people is actually going to work for them. And it's amazing how how well, it, how easy it is and how well it works and how many mushrooms you can produce. I mean, you kind of have a, if you got one bale full of mushrooms, you get 30 pounds of mushrooms. Wow. It's like you you might be a mushroom lover when you start, but by the time you're done, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> man, what am I going to do with all these oyster mushrooms?
0: Right, Exactly. Wow so you mentioned concerns and after our last interview a couple of years ago one of the concerns that came up for me is the difference between a an organic bale of straw and a non-organic bale of straw it, it seems to me that all of the chemicals that they put on the whatever they're growing you know through the growing life cycle would get transferred into the bale of straw so can you
1: address right. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That that's been a concern. We've had that discussion over and over again on our Facebook page and on Twitter, et cetera. The first thing is the main concern out there is two chemicals that will tend to linger if they're applied, and those are the amino al amino ralids and the cloppy rallids family. Common names are like striker and grazer, granger, I think, is another or grazer, I think, is the name of it. And these are hydrocarbon chains, you know, they're, they're formulations that are very common and they're supposed to be used to kill weeds on hay ground is what they're originally meant for. And so for a farmer to use those on a cereal grain crop like oats or wheat or barley is actually off-label use. They, they're they effective, but you're not supposed to use them because they realize that these chemicals will persist. And in the vegetation, and that they're not going to go away easily. So if that straw ends up in the food chain, you know, if it if it ends up being part of somebody's compost pile, that that could be damaging because this is going to prevent germination, etc. Um, so those are where the problem really stems from. Is a farmer who would use it, use this chemical off label, he's completely liable for that. And there's been lawsuits and and lots of litigation over this over the years. Um, farmers have introduced this so. There's less and less of it all the time because, you know, farmers are, don't want to lose their license and ability to use chemicals and things for their farm. So hopefully they're not going to violate the rules. The good news is if you happen to get bales from a farmer that did have contaminated bales of straw – The good news is nothing's going to grow in those bales.
0: Oh, right. Of course. You're going to get no
1: germination, or if you do get germination, you're going to get these curled up, crinkly leaves and and no fruit production at all. So so there's really no risk to us as gardeners that we're going to eat something that's contaminated. You know, worst case is you'd have wasted a bunch of money buying straw bales, you know, and I certainly would give that farmer a piece of my mind and and bring them back if something like that happened. The other good news is that bacteria, microorganisms – Tend to solve a lot of our screw ups. You know, we make these hydrocarbon chains that we use as herbicides and insecticides and things like that. And along comes these microbes and they completely metabolize, digest, and break down those hydrocarbon chains back into molecules of hydrogen, molecules of carbon and nitrogen and oxygen, which is what most of them are composed of, just those four basic molecules, breaks those back down into inert molecules, you know, that can then be reused are either gassed off or could be reused and actually absorbed through the roots of a new plant and become part of the cells of a new plant as a individual molecule. So there's no hydrocarbon left. The, the ones that I'm most concerned about are anything that would be left on the surface. You know, if someone were to spray a garden with an insecticide or an herbicide, and it was left on the surface of my vegetables, and I'm going to eat, that's what I would be, you know, way more concerned about because that's hard to see, you know, right. and, and it's not absorbed into the plant. So the plant's not going to tell you, hey, on the outside of my leaves here, there's a bunch of insecticide. You know, the plant has no way to to tell you that. If it's absorbed internally, the plant can tell you that because it leaves will curl up and it'll communicate that, you know, there's an issue here. So those are the ones I get more concerned about. It's It's been a concern, you know, there's a few instances of it. And you know, the ones that have bad experiences, those tend to get the most press, right? And the most clicks on the internet, so it's spread. But it's not something that's a common problem by any means. Now, you mentioned earlier buying organic straw. Well, you got to keep this in mind, Greg, that most farmers, even if they grew organic wheat or organic oats, which there's a lot of them that do, they don't necessarily market their straw as organic. Right. Because – Usually it's sold as bedding material for livestock, and since nothing eats it, you know, there would be no value in marketing it as organic. Now they're starting to see that there's people that are going to use that straw for other things, especially for straw bale gardening, and that there is a market for telling people, hey, my straw is clean. You know, there's no chemicals used in my fields, and so if you want to use it for straw bale gardening, you could – you can." grow organically and certify organic growth using my bales of straw. So certainly there's a growing market for that. But for any farmers listening out there, if you are selling straw and you're an organic grower, Mm -hmm. make sure you let people know that. Market your straw. Even though you might not think there's a market for organic straw, there is. There is becoming a market because there's straw bale gardeners out there looking for it. So keep those things in mind if you're you know, if you're selling straw or if you're buying straw, you know, look for organic version or just ask the farmer, you know, what are you using? Are you using any chemicals on this straw? And you'd be surprised how many of them will say, no, I don't use any chemicals. I sell my oats as organic or my wheat as organic, but I just never thought of putting that label on the yeah, straw. So. Exactly. So
0: one thing that I have uh, that's come on my radar in the past three or four years, and that is that a lot of times uh, wheat is sprayed with roundup to kill it at the end of its life cycle so it's easier to harvest what do you know about that
1: yeah glyphosate yeah they'll they'll use it as a dry down just to dry things up that would be a you know you couldn't use that straw as organic at that point once it's been sprayed it tends to to gas off quickly and the microbes very quickly will render that inert we've done tests on these bales you know, to look for residue mm-hmm. and can't find any measurable, anything that's measurable, even oh, parts per billion. That's after. Good yeah. After the conditioning period where you'll see those bales get completely colonized inside with that bacteria. And, the, and that's going to eat up any of those, any of those hydrocarbon chains that are in there.
0: And I guess if there was too much on there, like you said, the stuff just wouldn't grow.
1: Exactly. Perfect.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you for all of this. So what fresh piece of advice might you have for our listeners?
1: Well, to try a strawberry garden, of course. Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest piece of advice I can give somebody is to teach someone else gardening. If you're a gardener already and you feel comfortable in your gardening techniques, pass that knowledge along. You know, a lot of that has been lost over the years. It mm-hmm. used to be everybody learned to garden from their mom or their grandma, and a lot of that's been lost now. So even if you have a neighbor kid or, you know, somebody that you could mentor um, as part of you know, or your experience with gardening. And you'd be surprised when you teach someone else gardening, how much better you comprehend uh, those, you know, the details of gardening. So teach someone else. That's a, that's my piece of advice. Pass it along. We actually have a website called Bale Buddies that we have set up for people who are experienced straw gardeners to pass along their knowledge sort of as a mentor. So if anybody's looking for a mentor, they can go to that website and they can, they can, Figure that out, find someone who can help them.
0: That's awesome. What website is that? Uh Bale Buddies. Bale Buddies.com?
1: Yeah, they can find everything from our home website at strawbellgardens.com. So beautiful. Um, and links links to everything. So beautiful.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today again, Joel.
1: You bet. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. I really appreciate the time.
0: Always a great conversation. So we want to thank you and the folks over at Quarto Publishing, your publisher, as you have given us five copies of Straw Bale Gardens Complete, and they need a new home. So for our listeners out there, if you email us at podcast at urbanfarm.org with the subject I'm Seeking the Straw Bale Solution, we're going to take the first 50 people that respond and randomly pick five emails and send you out a book. So thank you for that, Joel.
1: Thanks a lot, Greg.
0: So how can our listeners find you?
1: StrawBaleGardens.com. Gardens.com.
0: Perfect. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash strawbale. And if you'd like to hear more from Joel, you can find our forty-first podcast episode at urbanfarm.org forward slash Joel 41. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode
1: of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming.